because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are and we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field. So just imagine to the Blobskers. Dun, 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 dun. Super embarrassing. Dun, 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 dun. It's the 2022 Blobskers. All right. So that's the intro song for the 2022 Blobskers. This is the first annual Blobskers. It's our, here at Cows in the Field, it's our award ceremony for the films of 2021. We'll talk a little bit about ones we didn't like. We'll give you some recommendations for things to check out if you want to check out something that's not just the Oscar stuff. Because there'll be some Oscars talk here, but we're not interested in the Oscars that much. So no. it's mostly going to be just movies we liked and why we liked them. I should also just say, this episode, everything will be spoiler-free. We don't assume you've seen any of these movies. The goal would be to try to convince you to watch some of them. I don't know. It could be fun. We're going to see. We've never done it before. My name is Justin. I'm Laura. And this is Cows in the Field, the first annual Blobskers. So kicking off for the first award of the night. Wait, you need to tell the rules. Oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I should say. <laughs> you need to talk, talk about your draconian nonsense rules that make me so angry every year. We do this. We've been doing this personally for a while. Yeah, we've been doing the Blobskers for a while. And the rules for the Blobskers are very specific. So there are seven categories in the Blobskers. And there's we, like nine. Well, in a di then there's these <laughs> other sort of pseudo categories that we're going to get to. Gotcha, but gotcha, gotcha. Of the seven official categories, okay. best picture, best director, best actor, best supporting actor and that's there's no gender we don't recognize gendered categories in this in blobskers so you can pick two actors and two supporting actors best writing best score and best scene so those are the seven categories and the rule the the number one rule for the oscars the blobskers excuse me is that every film can only win at most once so that is if, you know, if you thought that West Side Story should win for supporting actor, well, you can't have West Side Story win for best picture. Mm -mm. That's out. So you got to be really choosy and it encourages you to spread the wealth a little bit. We want to really talk about a wide range of movies, not just say, okay, like in the Oscars when one movie wins everything, it's not going to be like that. That's ruled out. So with that in mind, remember, we're talking about films that were released Theatrically, in 2021, we're going to start off with Best Supporting Actor. Okay. Okay, so Best Supporting Actor. Now, you get to choose two people in this. And let's go back and forth and just throw some nominees out before we get to our winners, okay? <clears throat> okay. So, Weirdly, this one is the one I had the most trouble with. Okay. 
Um, or not the most trouble with, but it's it's not as stacked as Best Actor. Okay, well, give me a couple nominees. All People right. who did not win for you, but but who you would like to nominate. Uh, sure. Jesse Buckley, Lost Daughter. Just hating her kids so hard. Yeah, that one rang true to me. So The Lost Daughter. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about The Lost, just to mention. So we're mentioning Lost Daughter. This is a movie directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. And it's about a woman named Lita, played by Olivia Coleman. As she, when she's older, and Jesse Buckley when she's younger in flashbacks. She's going on vacation in Greece, and she's having some troubles or reckoning with her past experience, fractured relationship with her daughters. Yep. And she's an academic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I also have Jack- Jesse Buckley as supporting actor. I okay. thought she was fantastic. Yeah, um, you really... F- and she give, like just sort of sighs heavily when that, when her little girl is like brushing her hair <laughs> with the doll brush. You're just like, yep. I feel that. Yep. I that- feel that. She's, she's questioning her choices. Don't hit mama. You can never, ever do that. Do you understand? Can- Out. No. Out. No. Get off me! 15 more minutes! Down. I don't... I don't want to see you right now. I don't want to see you right now. Uh, all right, you're, you go again. Give me another I get, why am supporting act. Because well, I'll, I'll give a new one. So I, I'm seconding Jesse Buckley. Did not Fen- win for me, but but not a fantastic supporting actor. Loved her. All right, this. well, this is a silly one. And I almost hate to give it because Jared Leto is, you know, he's Jared Leto. But House of Gucci, Jared Leto, he's Jared going Leto. hard. <laughs> so House of Gucci, what's that one about? <laughs> um, I mean, how do you even describe? There's a woman who it's is about not the Gucci a Gucci family. And she uh, marries into the Gucci family and infiltrates the Gucci family. <laughs> Almost has it all, but then maybe doesn't. Yeah, and there's uh, various generations of Gucci represented. You've got Pacino, mm-hmm. you've got uh, Jeremy Irons, you have Adam Driver mm-hmm. as the main Gucci in this case, Maurizio, yeah. and then uh, Jared Leto. Is it's got playing... fashion, it's got family drama, it's got backstabbing, it's got insane Italian accents in the case of Jared Leto. Jared Leto, I also have Jared Leto as a nom, and I okay. love him in this as Paolo Gucci. Paolo. And just so, I mean, it's just wonderful. We'll play a clip of, this is for, you know, when each, each person gets their, like, clip, right? Here's Paolo Gucci's clip. Maurizio likes you. Uh, he always has. Well, I like my cousin, too. He, he's quiet, like a, like a little moose, a tiny little moose. He doesn't scream like the others. No, he doesn't. And you and Maurizio together... That would be amazing. That's a new chapter for Gucci. No, no. My father, he would never allow it. He's got my little peaches in a very tight grip. Okay, that was great. So, all right. So, (laughs) I'm seconding that. So, why don't you go again? Sure. Um, Susanna's son, Red Rocket. Okay, I also have Susanna Zahn. Oh my gosh, yeah, all right. you and I are on the same page. All right, so let's do, let's, so what's Red Rocket about? And who does she play? Okay, Red Rocket is um, about a aging porn star who heads back, who's sort of, he's uh, in trouble and he's headed back to his hometown where they don't like him very much. <laughs> he's going to go shack up with his ex-wife. No, his wife. His wife. Estranged wife. Estranged wife. And uh, try to get back on his feet. And then he meets 
17-year-old strawberry. And, and that's Susanna San. That's Susanna San, I think. So this is Take It Back. Back to the biz. I'm doing this tonight. You're probably gonna start a fire. What's your name? Everybody calls me Strawberry. You're like an extraterrestrial around here. Don't fuck with me. Not. I loved you. Where were you? This cute little town called None of Your Fucking Business, Texas. I hope you had a good fucking time. Now it's time to leave. I think it's cool. You just said, fuck it. I'm gonna get paid for doing the thing I love most. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, you can you, man. Yeah, Red Rocket directed by Sean Baker. I think very high for both of us this year. Oh, yeah. We really loved Red Rocket. Um, we'll talk more about Red Rocket. But yeah, Susanna sounds great. And turns out she's not a professional actress, right? It's like her first film. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think she's... This is very... Sean Baker just saw her outside of a screening of They Won't Get Far on Foot or He Won't Get Far on Foot, the um, Gus Van Sant movie. Yeah, amazing. And she's super magnetic. Like, she's super charming. I think her she's had training in like musical theater and singing, and that's why she I does see. the she yeah, does an in sync cover in that in that film. That's quite lovely. It's wonderful, wonderful, great, great picks. Um, Do you want me to go again? Yeah, go again. All right. I think we're gonna get to some stuff where we don't. So agree. I'm I'm going through all the people that I didn't give it to. Right? Yeah, I agree. All I'm right. with you. Willem Dafoe, Nightmare Alley. I also have Willem Dafoe on my list. I love <laughs> but is it Willem for, Dafoe. Is it for Nightmare Alley? Yeah, or is it for, from, for Nightmare Alley. Okay. Yeah. I was like, am I going to give it to Willem Dafoe for, because he's in three movies that are on the docket this year, yeah. right? Is he? He's in French Dispatch, I'm assuming. He I is, can't even remember. Yeah. Uh, is he? I don't actually know. But yeah, he's in Card Counter. Yeah. Isn't he in The Cage in French disp- Dispatch? Okay. Yeah. I can't remember. And then he's in Card Counter. He is in The course. Cage. He is Albert the Ab- Abacus. Yes, exactly. Okay. But uh, he's, you know, I, I never really dislike Willem Dafoe but I feel like Nightmare Alley didn't really resonate with me um I didn't have it's not on my not any other these other categories for me it was fine I just didn't connect with it um but Willem Dafoe was a standout for me I think yeah let's actually then use this opportunity just to talk briefly about Nightmare Alley because I yeah. think it's not going to show up anywhere else no for us. not so, for me um directed by Guillermo del Toro I was quite surprised I enjoyed the movie I think I did quite enjoy the movie you uh, went in with very you. low expectations, though, because you're not... Very low expectations. Yeah. I haven't really liked a Guillermo del Toro movie, maybe ever, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's a morality tale. It's about the exploitation or the sort of temptation of exploitation and the effect of evil and corrupting a person's soul. In this case, the character Brad, played by Bradley Cooper. And Willem Dafoe plays this guy, a kind of madman, lunatic guy named Clem, who... <laughs> he just has a kind of insane charm, uh, not charm, but like an in sort of insane energy. And his whole role, so what's going on in this movie is it's a carnival. It's like a traveling carnival show. And they have different things. They've got mentalists. They have um, a lady who gets electrocuted. They have a strong man. And then they have these people called geeks who are basically half man, half beasts type creatures. But we learn basically they're just strung out homeless people who've been made to become addicted to basically opium, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then put into withdrawal and then made to do debase themselves. And it's all, you know, in the service of this show for the audience. And Willem Dafoe has this wonderful scene where he explains how the geek is made. How you break a person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really dark and also 
just because it's Willem Dafoe, he has this wonderful crackly voice and it just comes through. It's yeah. what, I think it's he's the best part of that movie. I, I really enjoyed it a Every lot. Every time he's on screen, he's just like, he has, you know, and I've, I've actually, I don't know if you've ever been to like a Ripley's Believe It or Not or like in my case, one of those sort of like medieval carnivals things where you do go into like a dark room with curtains and they just show you a bunch of jars yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Remember like seeing like a mermaid, right? They like just took, I don't know, a tail of something and added it onto a to a, a body of something else and stitch it together and it was a mermaid. Anyway, but Willem Dafoe has all of he has these, a bunch of this. What's the one? Enoch, jars. baby Enoch. Enoch. Yeah, baby <laughs> it's Enoch. It's got an Enoch. It's like a baby. It's like a giant bloated with baby one eye. With one eye, yeah. That's yeah. been pickled. Yeah, and he's just so <laughs> proud of these things. He's just like taking Bradley Cooper around, being like, "This are these are my babies, essentially." It's uh, he's just a <laughs> wonderful actor. I'm so glad he's been in all kinds of stuff this year. He's always a highlight. So yes, I, a second Willem Dafoe Nightmare Alley. How do you ever get a guy to geek? Oh, I ain't gonna crap you up. It ain't easy. You gotta pick up a broken drunk, a real alky, a two bottle a day full seat. Pick him up from where? Nightmare Alley's train tracks, flap houses, you name it. A lot of folks came back from the war addicted to the poppy, the booze. Now. Opium really sinks its claws, but you reel them in with booze. You tell them, I got a little job for you. It's a temporary job. Make sure you emphasize that. Just temporary until we get ourselves another gig. You spike it with that opium tincture. One drop per bottle, that's all. But oh, oh now, this is what he thinks is happening. So, you say to him like this, you say to him, well, I gotta get me a real geek. He says, ain't I doing okay? You say, like crap, you're doing okay. You can't draw a real crowd faking a geek, you're through. And you walk off. Now that night, you drag out the lecture, you laid on thick. All the while you're talking, he's thinking about sobering up, getting the crawling shakes, screaming terrors you give them time to think that over while you're talking then you throw in the chick you geek go, okay go, go again all right i only have one left oh, I've before got some i more than before good. i get to my actual uh winners cody smith mcphee power of the dog okay very good i don't actually have him down but uh cody smith mcphee very good yeah very good performance um, I did not actually realize he's the kid from Let Me In, the yeah. the American version. Um, yep, he he is haunting and strange and uncomfortable at times, and also magnetic. I think he's it's a good performance. I suspect we're going to talk more about Power of the Dog, so let's yep. let's pause. We'll we'll come back to Power of the Dog and and his role in it. Uh, let me give you a couple other noms before we get to the winners. Sure. So I have Baby Annette. <laughs> I knew you were going to go baby in that. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the the actress or the puppet? The puppet. Yeah. Yeah, the puppet. Uh, Straight up. Yeah. The actress is great too, but she's, she's too. a very supporting role. Um, the, 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 the puppet, Baby Annette, is great. We'll talk about Annette more later. Um, I mm -hmm. have Ben Affleck in The Last Duel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, Last Duel is shocking. Does not appear in any of my nominations. Oh, come on. Okay, so you're going to Affleck. Is that because you think Damon is a lead or supporting? 
I think of Damon as the lead, but I don't have okay. Damon in there. So okay. I, I'm just I, wondering. So you pick out of all those performances, like you feel like Affleck is the one who's who's really hitting it out of the yeah, park. Yeah, I here's I agree why. With here's you. why. I, I really think you. that that I mean Driver is Driver and and Damon. So by the way, let's just say Last Duel is this is this kind of underseen Ridley Scott movie. Um, for, I mean, come on. It was barely, <laughs> nobody watched it in theaters. So okay. that's underseen. Calm down. Uh, period piece about the bunch of dudes. You got Driver, Affleck, and then you've got Damon. And then there's one woman played by Jodie Carmer. And she's sort of in the way in the middle between these dudes. It's a kind of he said, she said, rape story told from three different perspectives, written by three different individuals. And I think that, you know, Driver is great, but Driver is sort of phoning it in. You can, I get the sense Driver's saving something for what he's going to do in these other movies. For Gucci. For Gucci, but also for, <laughs> for Annette. Annette. I know, Annette is his and, performance of the year, for and, sure. And Damon is is being, you know, Matt Damon is doing his best, like... He's so punchable. Slimy. Yeah. He loves thing. to be in that zone. You can feel yeah, it. He loves it. And then, and then, you know what? But what I liked about Affleck in this is that he's leaning into something that I don't think he's leaned in this hard before of just being a smarmy, enabling asshole. And um, he's just uh, he's such a. Uh, they're all playing it like they're basically transposed from the 20th century, and it's just. It works uh, for me, at least. It works really well, and he's sporting a great haircut with the, mm, with the dye. Best hair. Yeah, he's got like the dye. He's got like he's hair. like a, he's like a medieval M M&M. and M. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think it's great, but I, that's only a nom for me. So I've got I've got Affleck as in Last Duel. The common mind has no capacity for this sort of nuance. It's, they simply don't understand the world as we do. The, these villains and heroes. That is all. My lord, deny, deny, deny. Everywhere, always, at all times, and to all men. You did not commit adultery. It never happened. There is no proof. It will always be your word against that of Jean de Carouge. Yes, my lord. Of course, we will have to endure a public trial. Charges of rape will be brought against you, and a verdict will be rendered by your overlord adjudicating this matter, who, as the fates would have it, Happens to be me. <laughs> I've also got Troy Kotzer, Coda. Okay. Who is nominated for Best Supporting Actor yeah. uh, at the Academy Awards. Yeah. And we'll probably, actually, we're going to talk about Coda separately, but Coda is a movie about a woman, a young woman who is a child of death parent. Death She's parents. the only hearing She's the person, only hearing in, the person in the family. Yeah. yeah. And Troy Kotzer and um, Marley Matlin are the parents. And then uh, Amelia Jones is the kid. And Troy Kotzer, I think he was fantastic. He has that big emotional moment with her at mm-hmm. the end. And I think that's the reason he's nominated. And for me, I thought it was re- a really nice performance. And so I have him. And then the other one I have as a nom is uh, Vincent Linden in Titan. So he mm, plays. The, I thought about that one too. Yeah. Yep. So he plays the like the muscly aging firefighter, sort just of father figure, just putting drugs in his butt. Yeah. He's uh, he's doing <laughs> he's a lot steroids. of steroids and he's trying to do pull ups and he's looking real leathery. Mm-hmm. But I love. I really did love the performance because it's such a an uplifting performance. Yeah. You know, he's so open and genuine and 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 I don't want to say too much about Titan. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but. 
um, it's a it's in a way an adoption story, and uh, he's the father who's doing the adopting, and it's just a really wonderful ray of sunshine in an otherwise very violent and bleak movie in mm-hmm. in some respects. And so uh, Titan loved it. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. All right, so those were my noms. So who's who, give me your first winner for a supporting actor? Okay, <laughs> Catherine Hunter Macbeth. A drum. A drum. Macbeth doth come. I, in a sieve, I'll do the sale. And like a rat without a tail, I'll do, I'll do, and I'll do. I'll drain him dry as hay. Sleep shall neither night nor day hang upon his penthouse lid. He shall live a man forbid. Weary sun nights, nine times nine, shall he dwindle, peak, and pine. Come on. Come <laughs> on. Are you kidding me? I no. also gave it to Catherine Hunter. <laughs> All right. So tell me about why you gave it to Catherine Hunter. We should Hunter. have talked about this beforehand. No, we didn't talk about it. So we did it. Um, I, okay. So Macbeth, I'm going to be fully honest about Macbeth. I was sleepy. Um, <laughs> and I, so I think I dozed in and out of Macbeth. Um, but... Anytime Catherine Hunter was on screen, I was like alert and awake and locked in. Who does she play? She plays the witches, Mm -hmm. all three of them. (laughs) And she is doing incredible things with her body and her voice. She's like contorting herself in order to play the three different witches at once and using different voices. And it's, um, I, she's a very famous stage actress, as I later found out. I only knew her as like, you know, Mrs. Fig from, from the Harry Potter movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't do as much film work, but I thought she was just like, absolutely amazing and really honestly made Macbeth for me. I agree. I, I just agree with everything you say here and I don't think I have anything to add. I think it's an unbelievable performance. It's, it's incredible. That does make the movie because it, 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 it creates it because she's like I think the first thing you see in the movie almost yes. and it immediately announces the tone of this movie is going to be crazy ass weird. And once you are in that zone, you're like, whoa, this is where this is going to go. I'm into it. Like I yeah. just... I think without her performance, the movie is a staid. It uh, loses a lot of ambiance. Yeah. It becomes I mean, it, like. It, it just looks like a stage thing with a bunch of sets. Instead and, of cinematic. Yeah. And yeah. I think with her there doing the strange, unusual mix of contortion and voice work that she's doing, it, it um, it's sort of indescribable. Um, so we'll play a clip here, but uh, it's just great. I think, I mean, I, I spoke to some people who were, you know, talking about the various plays gone turned into movies this year and they were saying, you know, they would go to West Side Story over Macbeth just because they're not in the space, to, yeah. you know, to to do to watch something depressing. And my response to that was just like, well, when you're ready for it, it's worth it just for the witches. The you know, witches it's just for Catherine great. Hunter. <laughs> yeah. If you just watch her parts on YouTube, you might, you might be good. That might satisfy you. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to give my other nom now because okay. I, yeah. So Do you I'll, think it's going to be the same? It might be. Uh-oh. Um, are you ready? One, two, three. I'm giving it to Kirsten. Dunst. Yes. Are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's okay. We'll we'll separate, I think, first. We'll another. separate otherwise. Wow, I'm really surprised. This is great. So Kirsten Dunst, Power of the Dog. I mean, so let's let's now let's take this opportunity to talk about a little bit about Power of the Dog. So the Power of the Dog, Jane Campion's back, right? Everyone's been excited. She hasn't made a movie in a long time. She's back. It's a movie about a really irascible, kind of irritable rancher and his brother. So this is Benedict Cumberbatch and Tessie Plemons. 
they sort of their lives become intertwined with this innkeeper played by Kirsten Dunst. When Jesse Plemons sort of falls in love with her, they get married, and then she moves in with them in their their sort of ranch. And they're depressing bummer ranch yes. house. Yeah. And she has a son from another relationship played by Cody Smith McPhee. And so and he's almost fully grown. Yeah, so he's like a, you know, he's, he goes to boarding school. He's going to boarding school. And she's really alone. <laughs> yeah. And so she, she comes into this environment where basically disrupting what was going on between these two brothers, between Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. Um, and Benedict Cumberbatch is deeply resentful of that and makes her life absolutely miserable. But the thing I loved about her performance and why I feel like it actually is for me the standout of the movie is it just, it's both funny, she's funny in, in many respects, but also deeply pitiful. And she sort of recedes back into childhood. Like watching her over the course of the film is like watching someone, you know, revert back into a childlike state. She has to be basically taken care of by her son. She becomes addicted to, you know, she becomes an alcoholic. And she looks terrible over the course of the film. Um, she, you know, she's at varying degrees of unkemptness throughout. And um, yeah, just watching her be turf slowly tortured by this guy played by Benedict Cumberbatch, it's really wonderful. And I think, you know, if, it's also like it's a quiet and subtle and nuanced performance yes. too. It's not histrionic. That's right. It, it very well could have been, and but she plays it very quietly. She plays it like a supporting role. Like she'd say, I'm going to recede into the background and not, not take over any of these scenes. But as a result, it's, you know, she's, it's a very generous performance, right? And she sort of cedes the stage to Benedict who has a much more showy performance. And, uh, but I really like, I really like hers. And so that's why I wanted to give it to her as well. Yeah. Oh, Miss, <laughs> Miss Merchant, that's who it was. She, she drew chalk stars by our names on the blackboard. I wonder why it was stars she gave us. Why not diamonds? Why not hearts? Why not spades? <laughs> why? I wonder why it was always stars. Because stars are supposed to be unreachable. Yes. They weren't unreachable because she gave them to us. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have some divergence on best actor. So that would be next. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So that was best supporting actor. So just to recap, we're giving it to Catherine Hunter, the tragedy of Macbeth and Kirsten Dunst for the power of the dog. All right. <laughs> I can't believe we have pretty much all the actor. Things. Now, I think we are going to diverge at least on one sure. of these. All, all right. right. Are we throwing out our noms first? Yes. Go for it. Give me a nom. All right. Keanu Reeves, Matrix. Mm. Not on my list. Okay. I thought he was great. I thought he was good, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matrix 4. Yeah. Matrix 4. Yes. He's just, you know, he plays the depression and the disorientation um, so well. It's also kind of a quiet performance. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's one of his best, honestly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wanted, I wanted, he did not win for me, but I wanted to give him the nom. Uh, that's great. I overlooked that. And, um, I, but I totally agree. I think he's, I think it's the best performance of Neo he's ever done. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I'll give one now. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, don't look up. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, now this is a movie. Don't look up is a movie. I, I'm not particularly fond of. I'm not proud that I'm not fond of it by any means. I'm actually a big fan of Adam McKay's 
whatever. Yeah, like, you quote, love unquote, Vice. I like Vice. I think I'm the only person <laughs> in the world who likes Vice. So, you know, here I am loud and proud on Vice. But, it's not uh, like you need your movies to be subtle. So I, no. That's not it. I did not like this movie that much, but I really did enjoy DiCaprio just screaming into the void. You know, I think he, in a way, like understood exactly what Adam McKay wanted, which was just channel all of your anger and frustration at partisanship and everything and, the cons- and conservatives and misinformation and just scream in, you know, at the camera. Yeah. And I, it's hilarious. I mean, it's just, uh, there's this, yeah, the, the scene that I want to play is the one where he's freaking out on the, uh, on the live TV yeah. thing about that, you know, we took a picture of the fucking comet. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> anyway, I love that scene. Look, let's establish once again that there is a huge comet headed towards Earth. And the reason we know that there is a comet is because we saw it. We saw it with our own eyes using a telescope. I mean, for God's sakes, we took a fucking picture of it. What other proof do we need? I assure you, I am not on one side or the other. I, I'm just telling you the fucking truth. I, I think this would be a good time to establish that, that Isherwell and the president have oh, both said that there's both. benefits to be right, had. Well, the president the of the United States is fucking lying. Look, I, I'm just like all of you. I hope to God, I hope to God that this president knows what she's doing. I hope she's got us all taken care of. But the truth is, I think this whole administration has completely lost their fucking mind and I think we're all gonna die! I also kind of like the sort of like a subplot that's like a like a Cinderella story. Like he's in, you know, in, in typical Hollywood fashion, we have to pretend that the beautiful woman isn't beautiful when she's wearing her glasses, you know, and like he's supposed to look frumpy in the beginning. And then he, I don't know, gets like a very mild uh, makeover and becomes like hot professor. Yeah, suddenly then everyone, <laughs> it's a, what do they call him? Like a, a elf astrophysicist. I'd like to fuck elf. <laughs> Uh, that's good. It, 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 there's, I laughed. I did, I quite. I like laughed in the movie. I, I enjoyed myself. I don't really ever want to watch it again. Yep. Um, that's don't look up. All right, give me another num. Okay. Best actor. Yep. This is a silly one. Taylor Page for Zola. I have Taylor Page down. Okay. Yeah. I, have, right. I have Taylor Page down. She's yeah. really good. <laughs> Zola is great. So did ta- you? Were you thinking about her versus Riley? I I think I liked her more. I do too. Yeah. I do um, too. I mean, obviously Riley has the more showy performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is about a, it's a Twitter thread. I understand uh, that went crazy, <laughs> basically. Yeah. but it was about a, um, two dancers and they go to Florida, they right? go to Florida to dance, to dance ostensibly, but yeah. then it turns out. So t- Taylor Page's character gets drawn into Right. Is it Riley Keough? Is that her? Mm-hmm. Riley Keough uh, is, it says, like, let's go down to Florida to dance. But it turns out really what she's going to be doing there is just like a couple of nights of prostitution back to like just yeah, yeah, just yeah. bringing in men back to back in the hotel room. And poor Taylor Page is just like along for this ride. It basically becomes hostage to her pimp. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I, I kind of think of it as it's a very much in the vein, the kind of neorealist vein of Sean Baker. I feel like it's it's the mm-hmm. Red Rocket light uh, for this year. But the thing, that, but the thing I liked about Taylor Page is that 
um, it's like a zany movie, right? It's a completely out of control movie. And she's so grounded. She, she grounds has to be the, it. She's the grounded one. Yeah, she and grounds And her, it. just her reactions, because Riley Keough is, is like oftentimes sort of like embodying certain culturally black like language style right and like and and taylor page who is who's black is like responding to this in a way where she's like internalizing it not trying to piss anybody off because there's literally guns around but you can just like her performance is is so funny and so good in responding to what you know riley is doing yeah totally bitch you got me fucked up you had me out here thinking we was coming to dance in Tampa. But the okie doke was, your bum ass thought I was one of these hoes out here popping pussy for pennies? While I bide my time to make the real money ass up face down. Girl, listen, no shade, no shame do you, but that is not what you told me I was coming out here to do. You go hit me. What the fuck is wrong with you? This is messy. You are messy. Your brain is broke. Uh, okay, agree on that. And Zola is a fun movie, so check it out if if you have a chance. Um, let me give another actor nom. Yeah, uh, I have Adam Driver for Annette. Yeah, I mean that's a no surprises. Yeah, um, he didn't win for you. Okay, no, I no, he no, might. no, no. Remember, every can only win. Oh, once, of course. So. you're saving Annette. Um, you're saving well, Annette. Who knows what I'm saving it for? We'll see. He's um, so good in Annette. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's singing. He's he's playing pathos. He's playing violent, and he's um, he's he's slippery in that way that Adam Driver is, right? Where you can't quite pin him down because you're like, is this guy a bad guy? He's absolutely he's despicable in this movie, and yet, like, yeah, like I mean, there's he so he plays like a comedian. I guess it's like a performance art. Yeah, comedian. he's a comedian. His name is Henry McHenry. Okay. And he there's <laughs> long scenes of his show that are just like painful to watch, I feel like. He's just he's just the absolute worst uh as a human being and as a man. <laughs> Those shows are hilarious, are funny. I think they're quite fun. They're fun to watch. The audience is engaging with him. It's it's all very it's a big part of this film, which so I should Absolutely. mention now. I mean it's Leo Leo's Carox, who's yep. French. Uh, filmmaker who's made not that many movies and he mostly makes avant-garde french films and for some reason amazon gave him a decent budget to make a musical with sparks and annette is what you get and and he got stars like adam driver and marion cotillard and they sing and dance and it's very much a musical and it's absurd and broad and meta it's full of all kinds of meta stuff and at the same time, so emotional. It, it's grounded in a real <laughs> emotional thing about parenthood. And that, I mean, that resonates with us as being parents of young children. And and I think it's, you know, I really, I think that, that final scene with him and yeah. baby Annette is is really the, the standout scene. And so, that, you know, I, I think it was a great performance. Well, the true truth is, this morning, I... Uh, I killed <laughs> Louder! Louder, Henry! Can't hear you back here! Mike, Henry! I killed my wife. <laughs> yes, laugh, laugh, laugh. Laugh, laugh, laugh. 
someone more said it. I killed my wife. Agreed. Yeah, he's on my list too. Okay, give me another one. All right. Um, Simon Rex, Red Rocket. He did not win. He did not win. Interesting. He was so close. Okay. He was so close. I ended up giving it to two ladies. <laughs> hey, that's great. I mean, Simon Rex is, he's fantastic. So he's you tell. fantastic. Yeah. So he is, so we mentioned Red Rockets about the aging porn star. He plays the aging porn star. Um, he, I knew him from countless hours of the Amanda Bynes sitcom, What I Like About You. I believe he was also in the Scary Movies franchise, but he hasn't worked in a while. And uh, I was really delighted to see him. And he was Excellent. Absolutely amazing uh, as a sort of charismatic grifter. But you don't know your sympathies keep shifting throughout the movie. And you're, you're, he's, he keeps you with him the entire time. And you don't really know if he's like a mess and trying to get his life back on track and has good intentions or if he's actually just like a freaking psychopath yeah. or, you know, you're not sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, he plays it so well. And there are times he's so manic in a lot of the movie, you know, and he, you can get that sense that like he, he talks really fast. He gets really excited. And you can see how people get whipped up by him and swept along in his energy and his enthusiasm. And uh, throughout the movie, there are drawing parallels to Trump. Yeah, it's well, it's in the place. background. It's yeah. in the background. Yeah, there, it's taking there's it's taking place during the 2016 elections, and and periodically people in this in this um, Gulf town of Texas are um, watching you know news coverage of Trump. We'll talk more about Red Rocket, I think. Okay. But yeah. Um, yep. I good think we choice. Will. Great choice. Uh, here's another one. Um, Agathe Roussel, Titan. Okay. So she plays Alexia, and uh, yeah, I don't know how to describe this movie. <laughs> because I, it has it. There's so many twists and turns. It's a tightrope walking movie in the sense of actually many of the ones that we liked this year, in the sense that it you will never know quite where it's going until the end. Yeah, I feel like this top level description of the narrative would be just like Alexia is on the run and decides to pose as a child who had gone missing many years ago. Yeah, that's that's probably enough. I think. Yes. Yeah. But uh, and gets adopted by the father. Yes, Adrian is the is the the other name of the the sort of person she impersonates, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it's just an immensely physical performance in in the in the very best way. I mean, she it's a very tricky performance and requires yeah. quite a bit of commitment on her part. And as a result, because she is fully committed. And because she's also, I think because she's non-professional, I think there, it just lends an air of credibility and believability to everything that's going on in, in the film, even though it's a film that's very much fantastical. And so I love Titan, and she, I think her performance, performance is great. So check out Titan. Uh, give, me, give me another nom. Yeah. Um, going back to Lost Daughter, I also nominated Olivia Coleman. For, like, yeah. First lead. I didn't give it to Olivia Coleman this year. So you felt like Jesse was was yeah, the standout of that movie. I think what it is for me, I think she's great, but I think she's It's not new. Yeah, that's the thing is I think Olivia Coleman, I've seen her do this. Mm -hmm. And I know kind of she felt like she was being Olivia Coleman. I mean, it's a good role in the sense that it's challenging and you know, and that she's kind of a jerk and she has to play it. She has that kind of charisma so she makes it she softens it, but yeah, it just I, I thought it was good, but but it, it she did not make my list. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think it was a really good casting choice. Mm -hmm. It's a tough, you know, it's a tough role, it you know, to stay with a character who I 
acts pretty awfully <laughs> throughout a lot of the movie. She steals a girl's doll. Yeah. She straight up steals a little girl's doll. <laughs> yeah. And the girl is like bereft about it. And she just keeps it in the house. Um, but I yeah, Olivia Coleman, because we are so used to loving her and she's so used to her jolly self that she can really walk that line. Look, I'm sorry about earlier as well. I was I was feeling a bit anxious. Yeah. Well, you know, the sun can do that and well maybe your girls being away from your girls you know yeah well you'll see children are a crushing responsibility happy birthday Okay, so I've got two more noms, but I suspect that at least one or both of these sure. are your winners. Yep. We'll see. Okay. One nom is Elena Heim for Licorice Pizza. I also nominated her. Okay. She's no- amazing. I did not give it to her. Elena Heim. So we'll talk more about Licorice Pizza, but Elena Heim from the band Heim, she has never acted before. And yet, it's an unbelievable performance. So natural. Yeah. And, you know, she's her face is filling the screen for like so much of that movie. Yeah. It's in a way a, like a love letter to Alana Heim. And um, that's an incredibly, I don't know. It's a weighty thing to put on someone who's never acted before. Right. It's one thing to do that to someone like, you know, Daniel day Lewis, who knows how to have a camera on him and be 30 feet tall. Alana Heim has never you know, she's, she's been on a stage, I guess. So that's, that's a, you know, there's something there. But she's acting in a way which, and she's acting with alongside her sisters and her parents. And I mean, it's just very personal, even though, yeah, she's playing a character. But there's so many elements of this character who's, you know, the, lives of, the life of this character that's coming through, you know, her own life in a way. And, um, and so it's, you know, that takes a lot of maturity and, and, and gusto to, to, to do that. And so I, I had to give her at least a nom because I thought it was really impressive. I hope she keeps acting. I mean, I don't know if she will, but she was great. She was. Maybe this was just the perfect role for her. Who knows? And young lady, you don't bring this idiot to Shabbat dinner here. Listen, Dad, he's an atheist and an actor, and he's famous. But he's Jewish. He was going to take me out of here, Essie. Don't you even look at me. Don't you even look at me. You're always oh, looking at me. I what are you doing? say anything. What are you doing? What are you thinking, huh? I'm Essie. I work for Mom and Dad. I'm perfect. I'm a real estate agent. Alana doesn't have her life together. Alana brings home stupid boyfriends all the time. I mean... I knew it. I knew that was what you were thinking. You're always thinking things, you thinker. You thinker. You think things. Uh, the other one I have is a nom, which I suspect is a winner of yours, is Kristen Stewart for oh, Spencer. Oh, yes. I gave it to Kristen Stewart for Spencer. I'll leave the floor <laughs> to you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time with Kristen Stewart this year because we watched five Twilight movies and uh, also that underwater, mo- whatever that underwater movie was, too. So we watched, I think this was called Underwater. It was called Underwater. We watched a lot of Kristen Stewart. Um, I think... You know, I didn't know what to expect because I haven't really seen Kristen Stewart try to do one of these more sort of like embodied impersonation roles that so often get Oscar play. Um, She is like still kind of Kristen Stewart and yet I think embodies something about Princess Diana 
so well. We were watching interviews with Princess Diana afterwards, and there's something kind of like there's a there's an itchy discomfort whenever you whenever Princess Diana was on camera that that Kristen Stewart's doing really well there. I was totally taken by this movie, and I thought Kristen Stewart was amazing. Yeah, it's good casting because she there's there are parallels between Diana's life and Kristen Stewart's life, and so. Pablo Lorraine, who directed Spencer, um, I think is wanting her to tap into that and bring that dimension of her own experience, you know, being in the Twilight films and then being this super celebrity in the Having way her that... relationships in the tabloids. Yeah, exactly. In the way that Diana was and, uh, you know, how she dealt with that and having, you know, this was a film where... I was incredibly uncomfortable for most of this film, mm-hmm. partly because the film manages to create a space of feeling like everyone's looking at you all the time, which is exactly what Lorraine wants us to feel Diana was experiencing. And there are some scenes where she's, you know, eating at the at this yeah. law at these large tables, and everyone is waiting for her to finish her food so they can go on to the next course. And she, you know, famously, Diana, famous, Princess Diana famously had a, had an eating disorder. And this was very different, you know, this kind of thing would be incredibly difficult for her to do. And just the amount of stress that this movie was able to generate in terms of putting you in the mindset of a character who's being forced to do this in front of everyone and being judged constantly was amazing. And I, I, I it was a real feat. I just didn't enjoy it that much. You know, I sometimes I quite enjoy that experience and this time I didn't enjoy that experience. Although I I have to tip my hat to the the craft. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, especially I mean to, to on a personal just notice somebody who has struggled with eating disorders and eating um in the past like it really does capture that feeling. You do feel like people are are watching, especially once people know this about you and are concerned or, you know, I don't know, judgy. <laughs> um, it is, it is like a it it took me back to some mm-hmm. darker places mm-hmm. and and you know, that wasn't necessarily comfortable, but I thought it was really remarkable. One of the men reported back today that they saw you dressing and undressing with your curtains open. There had been a photographer. <sighs> Really watch. I watch to make sure that others do not see. Their lenses are terribly powerful these days, ma'am. Their lenses are more like microscopes, actually. And I'm the insect in the dish. You see, they're pulling my wings and my legs off. One by one. Making notes on how I react. She really does make a fuss, this one, doesn't she? Not like Anne Boleyn, who offered her head to the tweezers with such grace. So my first winner is Simon Rex from Red Rocket. Nice. I'm giving it to him. Simon! He just won it for the Spirit Awards, and that really confirmed it for me that, yeah, this is an unbelievable performance. Um, it might just be a flash in the pan. This is like the perfect role for the perfect actor kind of situation. Um, but I don't think so. I think I actually think he is talented. And I mean, it. but there is something about the casting that is perfect here. And yeah, again, Red Rockets, Sean Baker film. It's about this washed up porn star who comes back. And, you know, it's, I think Red Rocket, Nightmare Alley, and in a way, Licorice Pizza are all kind of dealing with the same theme of 
the 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 experience of being under the spell of a con man in a way and an operator an operator and red rocket is i think the most you know emotionally and thematically complex of those films in that regard and that it it really is ambivalent about this guy uh, i won't give away the ending but it is it is very much you know in the spirit of thinking about you know what it's an apol- i'll put it this way it's an apolitical film that is about trumpism but apolitically it's mm-hmm. not interested in any politics i mean there is some political stuff in the background but it really does not care about that it's interested in people and the psychological manifestation of this kind of charisma and without someone like simon rex who has that kind of charisma and the willingness to just be it feels like he's really being quite open and honest the camera and mm-hmm. if he wasn't that way it would just you know if there was any irony or something or detachment it wouldn't yeah. work and so i think the fact that this guy was as he said in his spirit award speech he's like i wasn't getting callbacks for like gap commercials like he was like i was at the i was ready to just quit so he's a guy with nothing to lose and in a way that's the character he's playing mikey saber he's a guy with kind of in his lowest point and he can only go up in a way so he's sort of ready to do anything and I think that's the the magic of the performance, and it works partly, I think, because the character and the and the actors yeah. are aligning in this way. You said you were never going to step a foot in Texas again. And then the world fucked me. What can I say? Peekaboo, Ma. See your mom saying, "Let him in, let him in, and take a shower." And the dog's like, "Oh, he's a good man. I can tell by his nice energy." Please let me take a fucking shower. So that was my first uh, winner. Who's your second winner? Lady Gaga House of Gucci. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. I didn't even have her as a nom. Uh, tell us How about Lady Gaga. dare you? I don't. Okay, fine. It's a, it's a like over the top showy performance, but I just, man, House of Gucci. What a fun film. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. I had a great time. And every time, I mean, Jared Leto obviously was going hard and having a good time and i think he fully deserves our best supporting actor but we are with lady gaga the entirety of that movie and i think mm. you know if she were a little too hammy maybe it would tip into complete you know complete ludicrousness um you know adam driver's the gra- pretty grounded in that in that in that movie but she has she has this I mean, she's insane, the audience surrogate though, she's the too. audience surrogate right. She apparently kept that accent like the entire filming. She was in character all the time. Can you imagine just like living her life with that that Italian accent? (laughs) She fully committed. I think she's really talented. I do think she's quite talented. I think she's really talented. And I think she knew what what the sort of energy of this movie is. And um, I think she was spectacular and so fun. Very fun. (laughs) As soon as we landed, we went to the Jules Verne restaurant in the Eiffel Tower. It's at the top. No, no, no. It's on the second floor. (laughs) It was magnificent. (laughs) Later, we went to the Louvre. I'd always dreamt of seeing the Louvre. We arranged for a private tour. Thank God. Imagine all those crowds. I couldn't do it. They just want to know where you got the macaroon, sweetie. I'm telling them. Yeah, you're feeling the story full of unnecessary details. I don't think our guests mind? They wouldn't say if they did. You're an unnecessary detail. 
Yeah. Had I to like give that. it to Gaga. I'm, I'm, I'm and that's where I can put in Gucci. Because um, surprisingly, Gucci doesn't show up much more after this. Right. So, but, so you didn't give it... To, yeah, that's right. Because you didn't give supporting actor to Jared Leto. Yeah. I did I thought, not. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Yeah. It's interesting how this is all breaking down. Okay. So so for me, I've read Rocket. You got Spencer, Kristen Stewart. Yes. And now you've got Lady Gaga, House of Gucci. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, greetings from the future. We're punching in from the future. We managed to watch The Worst Person in the World. And we've got some late-breaking news. I need to update my my acting category accordingly. Okay. Lay it on us. I loved this movie. And I loved the the main character, Julie, played by Renata Reinsva. I thought she was amazing. And mm-hmm. I want to give her my acting award for the year. She was amazing. So what's the worst person in the world? Well, it's a movie about a character named Julie. She falls in love with a guy who's much older than her named Axel. She's, at the time she falls in love with him, trying out different things. She doesn't quite know what she wants to do with her life. She's pulled in different directions. She has different passions. Um, And at the same time, she's not ready to settle down. So there's a bit of a conflict and tension already in their relationship, given that he's older, he wants to have kids, he wants to settle down. I, I, can't, I can't really say more because I don't want to really tell you where this movie's going if you haven't seen it already. Um, but in a way, what I just said sells it far short because I think the movie is actually quite profound and captures a few different things that I haven't seen done well in recent memory in movies. One of them being that because of our pasts that are separate, it's very difficult to forge new connections with people. So much of your life has been separate from the person. Mm -hmm. That I think is a really interesting idea that the film explores really well. And the other thing is just the terror of change and how quickly someone might change and what that can do to you when you're on when you're not expecting it when you're not mm-hmm. expecting someone to just fall out of love with you or fall in just, love with or you or like meet a reindeer or meet a reindeer or whatever <laughs> and so there are these profound moments that can change someone permanently and that could happen to you that could happen to someone you love and that could forever change your life and i i thought the film handled these two themes really nicely and it was really a, for me a joy to watch what do you what did you think about the worst person in the world? Oh my gosh. I'm not ready to formulate my thoughts on this. Okay. I did not love it in the same way you did. But I need to like spend some more time thinking about whether or not this these are criticisms that are fair. But my knee-jerk reaction was that the movie became about Axel by the end, that the movie romanticized Axel's point of view, um, which is very Generation X point of view. <laughs> and that the film kind of doesn't take seriously her exploration or feel or it sort of dismisses it as immature. You know, she there's I mean the way that she flits from thing to thing is played comedically in the in the prologue. And I'm not really sure like if the message is supposed to be it's fine to explore in your 20s, but you better settle the fuck down and like figure <laughs> out what you're interested in yeah. by the 30s. Um so yeah, I didn't I did not love it. Um but I think I need to chew on it for a little bit longer. That being said, Renata was amazing. Incredible. I think we're just going to have to do a whole episode on this one. Maybe <laughs> a, an emergency pod to just I need it to out. be way more articulate in that next one. Yeah, like, same become here. prepared. Same here. We got to prep for it. But maybe we'll do that down the road. Um, but <laughs> one of us really loved it. Some really smart people have, have loved this movie. Some really smart people have not loved this movie. And I'm, and I'm just trying to like figure out where I'm at. Yes. 
Um, but we both agree. She's great. She's, she's amazing. luminous and wonderful. And Joachim Trier, who directed the film, I think understands how glowing and just mesmerizing her performance is. So he just leaves the camera on her and it's great. And she, yeah. She's a real um, a gem. And so I she's give... She's so natural. Yeah. I give her my Best Actress Award for The Blobskers. And this replaces Amelia Jones, who I had previously thought I would end up giving the award to from CODA. I still think that Amelia Jones is a, did an amazing job. I really think her performance has somewhat been overlooked, I think, and deserves yeah. recognition given just the pure technical... I hadn't um, thought about the fact skill. that she's signing, acting, and singing. She's That's signing three planes of performance, acting and singing. Exactly that are, and she had to learn sign language to, to you know, for this. She wasn't affluent in sign language, but by the end of it, she was able to communicate with her her co actors. And you know, I just think it, it's a feat. And I also think she's very natural and grounds the film. And, mm-hmm. and it's a film which I'm not super high on, partly because I think it you know, it overreaches in various places and it's overwrought and um, cliched. But I liked how she is, you know, just a grounding presence in the film and brings, you know, brings it all down to to earth and makes makes for a very believable and relatable character. As someone who's watching this film, like myself, who's thinking, oh, this is pretty ridiculous. I, I was still, I was kept, uh, you know, in it because of her. And so I really do like her performance, but I have to say Renata wins for me. So that's that's just a quick punch in. And now we're going to get back to the rest of the Blobskers. There we go. So now we've done supporting actor and best actor. Why don't we go now to um, writing okay. and score? Okay. Okay. So writing, this is a tough one because, you know... I don't really know what it means. Yeah, nobody quite knows what it means. Usually it's about, you know, putting p- words on the page and this kind of script thing okay. that people yeah. they talk about the actors read from it yeah. and they memorize it you don't it need and to be a jerk about it I understand yeah. yeah that's what writing is I quit this podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm gonna go first on this one yeah why don't you and I'm, I'm do- all of mine I, I've, I've put in alphabetical order so I'm gonna start with yeah I believe this would be the first one it's a threesome don't, Ben Affleck don't be gross Matt Damon <laughs> and Nicole Holofcener for the last duel. All right. That's a nom you right love there. Last duel. <laughs> hey man, last duel was good. And and here's the thing. <laughs> they each of them wrote the different parts. That Affleck wrote yeah. the part, the first part. Damon wrote the second part, and Hollis Center wrote the But which part is the true part? Well, we'll see, you know, it's a Rashomon. No, oh I'm my just God. Kidding. If somebody the, says Rashomon one more time, I'm gonna stab my eyes. It's, it's so out. completely not a Rashomon thing, anyway. But it yeah, <laughs> anyway, but whatever. It's one of them is in, is the truth. One of them is, is right. Not how it works yeah. in Rashomon. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was a good. I thought it was good writing. I thought it was cool. It's a cool idea. It's I mean, really cool idea to just have the actors effectively be like, "Here's the storyline. You write the script." Yeah. I thought that's cool. And, that is cool. I, I, I didn't that. actually know that about last year when we watched well, it. Well, there so. you go. And now I've learned something. I've also learned that writing is about putting words on a page. Hey, man, this we this is an educational podcast. <sighs> I'm going to, all right. I have Jane Campion, Power of the Dog. Okay, easy. It's an adaptation. I, yeah. We didn't really like do original screenplay versus adaptation, yeah. but I think, you know, it's, um, I have not read the original book, but from what I understand, it's like maybe even more um, like. Doggy. The, the, the homosexual stuff, the gay stuff is more, is more like, is more 
hinted at and less explicit and finding that sort of finding that in between I think is she did a really good job with that and and there's a bit of a twist ending, except for not really a twist ending because they kind of tell you in the beginning. Oh, but man, things. nobody got that except you. I did. I was, you know, and it, you, you, surprised you don't by the twist. know at any point, like who your lead character is, what storyline you're following. Is this movie about Jesse Plemons? Is it about Benedict Cumberbatch? Wait, no, is it about, you know, Cody? Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was without having known the original source material. I think it was a really good adaptation. That's a good pick. Um, here's my other pick, or my I've got a couple, but here's another nom: Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Sure. How I mean, that's an easy nomination for me for writing. For though? writing, because yeah. I didn't think about it for writing, because I was like not even sure how much of it is loose and like actually on the page. I, that's you know? the thing. I think it, I you think Paul like Thomas Anderson is that's say, how he does it. He's a very he's a very writerly writer. Mm-hmm. I think he writes it, and and I don't know how much of it is improvised honestly so um either way i think there's a magic to the film in terms of the structure yeah where it it, in a way it always it kind of keeps you guessing at every point what is happening in the scene you're watching and what like who is driving everything and and you know what's their role in all this it's very sort of disorienting to watch for the first time and i love that i think at one point a lot of hype says to sean penn is this real life or are these lines? It's great. Like, <laughs> it's great. That's it's how the just, whole movie feels. And it just feels like a <laughs> like it's you're in a fantasy world. I mean, that I think really captures the feeling of LA um at any point, but probably especially in the 70s in the height of the American, I don't know if the height, but whatever, a very, a very prominent period of American uh filmmaking. And so yeah, I, I mean, I think this is an easy nomination personally, but sure, I didn't give him the win. So no, because you're saving it, uh, Julia Ducarnau. How do you say her name? Julia Ducarnau. Yeah, for Titan. 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 Yeah. Um, it's just a crazy. It's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. It's an in, like, and as you say, you never really know what it's about and what's happening. And I think, it, like, I I ruminated on that movie for a while afterwards, unpacking it. So that's a good pick. Yeah, I don't have it, but I think it's a good pick. Um, okay, I have a tie. So you I can't. Want... You have to pick. Well, I want you to go first. Okay. Well, I I have a couple more noms. How many nominations do you have? I've got a couple more. I've got okay. Asghar Farhadi for a hero. I have that one too. So I think this is where you know Farhadi is you know one of at least very. I think he's one of my favorite directors. I I think I can safely yes. say this. I mean. Um, a separation, I think, he's is, never let is a masterpiece. And I think he's really the ultimate, he's like the master of the human morality fable. And it basically the plot of a hero is there's a guy named Rahim, and he's in prison because he's unable to repay his debts. And his girlfriend finds a purse with some gold in it. And their plan is when he's on a furlough, they're gonna pawn the the gold and then you know, with the money pay repay his debts to get him out of prison. I won't say any more than that, but it's a movie which takes many twists and turns in terms of the, you know, your loyalties and your who who's a good guy and he's a bad guy and and the complexity of the moral situation that these guys end up in that both Rahim and then everyone connected to Rahim ends up in. It, it's just classic Varhadi. It just becomes so complicated and so gray things get so out of hand and mushy and you never know quite what to think at any given point um except for that you're stressed out it's very stressful everybody 
It's very stressful. And I think that's uh, most of this is due to the writing. I think Farhadi is, it, he writes, his movies are like plays. They basically could be plays. And I think um, that's why I think Farhadi, he's kind of a master in at the writing craft. I think that's that's really where yes. it is. And so, I, although I didn't give him the award. Okay. Maybe I should have. Now, after, well, I, after I've said all this, I'm well, like. Well, okay. For between. For me, it was between oh, yeah, I got more nums. and one more. So I'm going to see what else you've got. Okay, I got more I'll nums. decide what I'm giving it to. Uh, I have Emma Seligman for Shiva Baby. Fun. <laughs> nice choice. So Shiva Baby. So Love Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby is, so this is Emma Seligman's, I think it's her debut film. And uh, it's about a woman named Danielle who's basically, she's in college. She doesn't quite know what to do with her life she is trapped between two conflicting things. She has these sort of aspirations to do something sort of meaningful with her life, something that she thinks is valuable. On the other hand, her parents wanted to be like a lawyer and just, you know, like they just, you know, they just wanted to make money and, and, and be comfortable or they wanted to meet a nice Jewish guy, you know, and it's um, a kind of a masterclass of just creating tension in a very enclosed environment. Yeah. It's incredibly claustrophobic. They're all sitting Shiva. So everyone's sitting Shiva and she's just surrounded by people and then just, every, it's like a play in the sense that every time a new character enters, it adds a whole new dimension of tension and I really enjoyed Shiva Baby, so I gave it a nod. Shiva Baby was so fun. That's um, a great one. Your behavior right now is completely unacceptable. Okay, I think you need to relax. Don't you tell me to relax. You are flirting with everyone. You are chugging wine. You are sitting on a table. What is this? A party? And I thought I told you no funny business with Maya. I don't know what that means. Oh, yes, you do. Don't play dumb with me. I thought you were done experimenting. You think everyone that's by is experimenting. You don't know anything. You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. Look at this waist. Oh, my God. Oh, my darling. How was spin class? Oh, it was good, but look at this one. Is she not eating? Uh, right? How does she weigh? How much she weigh? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I just... <laughs> All right, so here's my win. Okay. And you can tell, you can decide. Okay. Okay, so my win is uh, Paul Verhoeven and David Burke for Benedetta. Okay. You didn't see that coming. I did not. I did not. We have not talked about Benedetta, so I'll just say something really quickly and then we'll hear your winner. Um, uh, I think this is a cool movie. And it's, I think it's the one of the more sophisticated uh, deconstructions and parodies of organized religion. It's set in a 17th century Italian convent. Benedetta is a, a, a nun, but she's a true believer in the real sense. She's, she has faith where pretty much everyone else around her is a non-believer. They just, they just you know, all the nuns and the clergy and everything, they, they know what they need to say because they're getting whatever degree of power is afforded them by you know, having the authority of talking to God. Slash for women, it's like a source, it's like a last resort slash refuge. Exactly. For to be a nun. You know, and it's not always about power too. Like a lot of those women in there are just... Seeking safety yeah. from, from the violent world. And then Benedetta shows up and she's like, God is speaking to me. And it's just great. <laughs> and it's just crazy. And she's like, God is speaking to me and Jesus is my husband. He's my yeah. sexy husband. I, I really I really liked it. I thought it was a cool I thought it was a very cool movie. And I thought that one of the things that I think is so great about the movie and why I think you should see it is that it flirts with realism and fantasticalness. 
what I don't know, phantasm, or I don't know what the, the you know, anti-realism in a kind of exciting ways where you're never quite sure whether Benedetta maybe really is talking to God or is she just insane? Like, you're not quite sure what's going on. And maybe until even the last moment of the movie, and then even then, maybe it's unclear. Like, I really enjoy how the movie doesn't quite tell you what universe you're in. Mm-hmm. And um, that that makes it, that adds a degree of tension and excitement to everything that's happening. So that's my pick, Benedetta. Okay. Um, all right. So I was I was in between Farhadi and this other one, but since we both talked about Farhadi and I liked a hero, but I feel like I liked the other Farhadi movies better. Maybe I won't give him the writing uh, award. So I'll give it to Christian Petzold for Undine. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really liked Undine and Christian Petzold, like you said, with with um, Farhadi, I think a lot of his talent is in, in the writing of his films. Um, they all kind of grapple with the history of Germany in some way. This one is like a mermaid tale, but also spends a lot of time talking about the history of Berlin <laughs> because, you know, I guess Undine's mermaid day job is that she is <laughs> mermaid day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's a tour guide. <laughs> She's a tour guide and talks about the history of Berlin. Um, there's like, I think I need to watch it a couple more times to even unpack everything that's going on. I think on you have to that. take a course in reunification of Germany. I think I need to. You can, yeah, I like, think I need to. I don't, I mean, you know, I'm definitely not educated enough for it, but all the same, I'm still interested because it's combining these, this fairy tale world and, you know, and something that's, that's much more real and complex and, um, you know, I think the other the other magical thing about Kristen Petzold is that he always he frequently works with the same actors yeah. who have, you know, beautiful chemistry. So the actors in Undine are lovely, too. Um, but yeah, Undine, I I want to see it again. I want to try and keep chewing on it. That sounds that's a great pick. Yeah. The actors are Franz uh, Rogowski and Paula Beer. So and they're fantastic together. I think they're making another one. I think okay. Christian Petzold. I think they're, they're gonna. It's gonna be almost like a trilogy. What was the transit? Name of the, was the transit? Other one. This one, I feel like I like transit. I feel like I. This one was a little bit more. I was more like in, immediately engaged with this one than with transit. transit I spent was more a little bit mysterious. Tra- it was more mysterious. I kind of felt more. I spent more time trying to figure out just like where they were and what time it was, you know, and if this was a real life thing or if this was like an alternate universe. Yeah. And um, if it then then with this story where you know Undine is just like, well, if you leave me, I'll have to kill you. And <laughs> it's I'm, like that's the rules. That's the rules. And that's I'm just like, how the mermaid logic works. Yep. I'm on board. <laughs> All right. So to recap, we have for writing Justin's pick, Paul Verhoeven and David Burke for Benedetta and Laura. Oh, Kristen Petzold for Undine. Okay. Let's move on to best score. Give yes. me a nomination for best score. I don't have like five nominations here. So. Oh, okay. Um, I can I can keep mine a little bit short. We're doing best a musical, best original music or best yes. score. Well, sorry. Same thing. Well, I don't know. Annette Sparks, up. is that... Is I have her, Annette Sparks underscore. That's not score, really, but sure. Okay, I was just counting. Well, whatever. I'm counting it as... What I guess what I was wondering is whether or not Barb and Star can go in there. <laughs> All right, put it in. Uh, okay, I'm going to nominate Annette by Music yes, by Sparks. Music by Sparks. One, two, three, four. 
So may we start So may we start It's time to start My time to start It's great. I love this. I love the music. I, people were saying the music sucks. I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, about. I, I understood what they meant because the because, you know, the lyrics are not great. You know, there's like a lot of we love each other so much. Yeah, but once I kept playing the soundtrack, like the score over and over yeah. in your head, then you were like, I kind of dig this. I don't know about we love each other so much, but may we start rocks. It rocks. So it starts and ends really well. It does. Exactly. Yeah. The opening and the closing are phenomenal. So, um, yes, I, it's definitely worthy of it. Second is. Give me another one. Excuse me. Dune. Hans Zimmer. Okay. Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? You obviously know I'm giving it to Hans. (laughs) So I can't know you're going to make me. All right, fine. I'll just say. Cut Hans it out. Zim- Cut it out. No, it's fine. I'll just do. I, I'll just say my winner right now. We Hans don't need Zimmer, to spend so much time Hans on Zimmer this. for Dune. I, I, I look, if Hans Zimmer makes a score mm-hmm. that is for a sci-fi movie. Yeah. I'm in some sense obligated to give him the award. Yeah. Hans Zimmer wins. It's an, it's, it's a wild score. It, it, it's, it's really good. It's not his best score, but it is still a, what do you think is his best score? I think it's is Interstellar. It Interstellar. I think it's Interstellar, but I think Inception is also just a phenomenal and an incredibly important score. But I think Dune, I, I listen to it nonstop when I'm working and it just... Yeah, it's why our son thinks that your job is to watch scary movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great score. I don't know what else I can say. I mean, you know, I'm obviously it's not the giving Dune any other, other awards here. No, me neither. I, it's I'm the best part of score. Dune. All right. So here, I'm just going to skip. I don't know. I don't feel like I can talk about score. All I right, barely so recognize me, me score. Winner. My minner. Um, I think truly, if it, my really true winner is Dune as well. But I wanted to shake it up because I know you you were going to go Dune. So um, Micah Levi for Zola. Okay, I mean, wow, really? You don't remember it, no, right? I don't remember. Yeah, so it um she is like in her 30s. She did Under the Skin and Jackie. And um what did you say Zola was something light? What did you say earlier? I said it was Red Rocket Light. Red Rocket Light. Okay, so this score is like a lot of harp and toy pianos, like glockenspiel, jewelry boxes, tinkly it really kind of like gives you this like otherworldly fantasy girly feel that's like I feel like when I think about Zola, I think about like cotton candy and millennial pink. Yeah. And that score perfectly captures it. Um, if you listen to it on Spotify, it's kind of funny because it's like 
the the dialogue is over is played over oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like you can really like listen to it in your free time in the same way. But I think it's a really good score for the movie. And it actually stuck with me because it worked so well too with a little like zoop zoop. Twitter sounds. Oh, dice. Right. Yeah, I just I feel like it made the movie like really cohere style wise. Uh, and it's it's a different one. Great. That's a great pick. Oh, that's a great pick. Yeah, it's kind of coming back to me now, actually. I'm excited about yeah, that one because you cool. know that I like barely clock scores. No, I don't. Great. I'm such not a musical person. So I had like Spencer, Johnny Greenwood on here. But then if I'm like being honest, I don't really remember. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it was great because it's Johnny Greenwood. The Spencer like, score is 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 really it's aggressive and intense and yeah and it couldn't just like that movie yeah it, it, <laughs> i thought it was the best part of spencer personally i mean well i don't know i mean kristen stewart's great how I, dare you the johnny greenwood score really announces itself yeah from the beginning yep okay so there we have it we have hans zimmer dune and and sorry who was your pick again zola michael levi michael levi great Let's move on to Best Director, and then we'll kind of come back and do some of the shorter categories before we finish up for Best Picture. Okay. Sound good? Yeah. So we're skip- We're going to come back into Best Scene. Yeah, we'll come back and do Best Scene after. Okay. Okay. So I think for me, we've talked about all these movies, so I can yeah. go through this somewhat quickly. Yeah. So I've got Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. Yep. Sean Baker, Red Rocket. Yep. Julia Ducarnot, Titan. Yes. Maggie Gyllenhaal, The Lost Daughter. Yep. And I'm giving it to Leos Carax for Annette. Okay, so we have the exact same nominations, only I'm giving it to PTA for Licorice Pizza. You're giving it to PTA. I'm giving it to PTA. I am. I will say that my decision was between Carax and Gyllenhaal. I thought Maggie Gyllenhaal did something kind of amazing with The Lost Daughter. Partly it's because... I think if that, I think the directorial style makes that movie for yeah. me. It's the way the, the flashbacks become these interstitial things that keep sort of intruding into her, whatever, her experience on the beach. And, you know, they're just woven together so cleanly mm-hmm. um, and so fluidly. And it really feels like a memory. Like when you're having that sense memory experience where something jolts, uh, and it, you know, a memory, like some smell or some action or some sound jolts this in you and you're like, oh, that reminds me of this thing. And that's just the whole movie felt like that to me. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I would want to give it to her. In any other year, I would do this, except that Annette is my number two movie and I have to give it to Leos Carax. I think it's a movie where- It's just such a bold, crazy movie yeah, too. Yeah, it's a bold, I mean, crazy obviously Carax is- He's a bold, crazy director, but you know, to do a musical, that's, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I just think he really pulls off something incredibly difficult and it's not for everyone. And probably most people who watched it on Amazon (laughs) are like, what the fuck did I just watch? But I really think go check out Annette. It's a movie with Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard and an animatronic puppet puppet baby. (laughs) And it is incredible. And I just, it's so stagey and at the same time, so uh, vivid and alive. So I I love Annette. I'm giving it to him. So do you want to give me your pitch for PT? I mean, I I can't disagree with you. You can't disagree with me. Is it like something remarkable that he's never done before? Not really. But I, I think like we talked about you know, Licorice Pizza being kind of as a hangout movie is a light, fun hangout movie. It's a little bit more, it's shaggy. It's got a lot of sort of like little vignettes. It's a little bit more of a throwback to his earlier stuff, maybe Boogie Nights and Magnolia, except for the tone of Magnolia. But, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like, you know, the stacked cast and it's being and um, the way it, the narr- narrative moves. But it feels like it's like just a more mature version of that. It 
you just feel so assured yeah. in that movie. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it's it's a remarkable movie. We were just, I was smiling the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's so magical. The performances are remarkable and, you know, I, and the writing is remarkable and that's all PTA. Yep. Um, you know, obviously the performance, Alana is incredible, is wonderful in it too, but I think he, he manages to get this natural performance from everybody really, yeah. unless it's Daniel Day Lewis, in which case he's asking for something Shut else. Up. He's asking for something else there. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> he's doing something amazing. Uh, all right. No complaints. So just to recap, you've got Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza. Yep. I have Leo's Crocs for Annette. Yeah, no surprises there. Let's do one negative category. Most okay. overrated film. All right. Are we give me good? one. Just give me one. Hold on. Oh, I've no. got a, uh, your, I lost your my list notes. is down here. I'll give oh, you I'll God. give you mine. Yeah. I'll give you mine. So it's a yeah. film that has appeared on numerous best of lists. Okay. And I found it unbearably boring. And I found it just shallow and uninteresting. It's Bergman Island. Oh, God. And I think, I think it may be the most boring movie about the <laughs> creative process or writer's block I've ever seen. But Bergman Safari is funny. Bergman Safari is hilarious, except that it's a real thing. If Bergman Safari was some joke that like, they were like, yeah, let's go to Pharaoh and pretend there's such a thing as Bergman Safari and we can like have this be a par you know, a kind of parody of, you know, what happens to an artist. No, it's a real thing. And it, it's just like, yeah, this <laughs> fucking sucks. Like <laughs> everything about this movie was irritating to me and yeah that movie was not my favorite either. i i feel like using bergman as your muse in a way and then not make not doing not it's engaging insulting. with bergman in any way <laughs> yeah except to just be like bergman this bergman that is an insult to bergman and his legacy um i despise this movie and um i don't understand why people like it but i'm sure there's something i'm missing because many smart people like it and i apologize for being so hateful of a movie that many people like but i really do feel like it's overrated okay what's yours um this is a nom pig yep no thank you we are hardcore fans of here the cage of the cage oh yeah in the cage in this house oh, so yeah. it's not but i just don't think it's that interesting of a nick cage performance as they go um and um yeah i don't know i don't like people waxing poetic about food <laughs> also just like underground fighting rings in portland what the fuck was going on in that movie yeah no thank you yeah not a no not, thanks not the most inspired cage performance i mean i think what they were going for was a kind of subversive use of cage but it, it's the surface subversive you yeah know? like it wasn't interesting i mean it was like I didn't see them tie into Cage's life. And, you know, I mean, maybe a little bit. It's like he's this famous actor and he's trying to escape, right? Like this guy's a famous chef. He's trying to escape his life as a famous chef and be just going to live in the woods. But that's not the sense I get from Nick Cage. He doesn't seem like he just wants to run away and live in the woods. No, like, I didn't think there was anything to, meta going on. In yeah, that I feel like, you know, if it was going to be good, it needed to have some meta element with the actor you're going to cast. And, it was just sort of like, yeah, we know you're going to expect this is going to be John Wick with Nick Cage and a pig. And it's not. And it's not. But like, also, <laughs> I didn't. That was like, you find that out in the first 10 minutes. So then I was like ready to. I was just like, oh, I could just turn this thing off now. I would have preferred John Wick with Nick Cage and a pig, honestly. Me too. All right. What's your next one? No, that's it. Most that's I think it's enough. We don't need to, oh, don't okay. need to be harsh. Um, okay. I mean, sure. But let's do Hidden Gem. Yeah. So what's a movie that you felt was a little bit overlooked that deserves to have another look, deserves to have someone take a look at it? Yeah. 
Um, Barb and Star visit, oh, <laughs> go to visit Omar. Oh. Hi. 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 We have a reservation under Barb and Star. Okay. Six nights? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you want towels? Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Do you need sheets? Probably. Yeah. For the bed. <laughs> no pillows, though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I am not joking around about that. That is my pick. Was it overlooked though? Yes. Okay. You know why? Two years ago, in the, when we just all hit this pandemic, there was a little movie called Palm Springs that everybody like lost their mind over. Yeah. And they were like, this is what we need in the pandemic. It's like got like, you know, pools and palm trees and like good times and time loops. And I didn't think that movie was very good at all. And Barb and Star is definitely more of a Lauren Michaels super silly, crazy costumes and makeup over the top, like nonsense fest. But I think there's like something really cool going on about about like it's a real study of female relationships. And, you know, these two women, Barb and Star, they lose their job and decide to go on a little vacation together. Yeah. It's and a middle aged movie for women. It's a middle aged woman for women. Yeah. One of them is like writes, you know, greeting cards as a hobby. And she said like, she's like, because middle-aged women, like we're really going through stuff. Yeah. And they are. And, you know, they get in like up in this crazy plot because they like one night accidentally have a three-way with Jamie Dorner. <laughs> and yeah. And like yeah. the thing about it is, is like all the conflict doesn't come at all from that really. Because like the intimacy of female friendships isn't about like, you know competition it, it, that competition but also like it's not like like it upends their friendship to the fact that they saw each other naked or oh, saw each other having sex like yeah. female relationships are intimate what's complicated with their relationship is like telling each other the truth when they're trying to protect one another mm. you know like they don't want to let the other one know that they're having a good time in case the other one isn't having a good time in case like that you know one woman's having success romantically if the other one's not having success romantically navigating like this this space where you're supposed to be able to tell each other everything but also we have to follow these secret rules about things that you can't really tell one another and um it's i i I just feel like I really connected with it and the lady friendship aspect of it. I think there's some some interesting writing happening there. You know, even when there's like a a pale woman who can't be in the sun and <laughs> there was like a shrimp fest or something, shrimp yeah. festival. There's some real Is there like a talking crab at some point? Probably. Or crab? Probably. It's complete lunacy. It's very SNL sketch turned into two hours. And that's how you always feel when you watch a movie like that, where you're like, this should have been 45 minutes <laughs> for the most part. But Give Barbara Bar and Star a chance. Okay, it's on Hulu, so yeah. Give it a chance. I think, I mean, even just for Chris Wynn's accent alone, you're going to have a good time. She's having fun. She's and if I'm going to take a Jamie Dorner performance from this year, it's going to be that and not Belfast. <laughs> yeah, did you notice Belfast was not discussed? <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to put it on my overrated, but you you cut off overrated. Uh, so. Fair enough. <clears> I just <throat> didn't want to be too negative. Okay. Fair enough. I'll, I'm also going to recommend a movie, an overlooked gem that's on Hulu right now. Okay. It's uh, Covatus Ida. Okay. So this is a Shut movie. Shut up. Are you really going to do that to me now? Because I just did Barb and Star. <laughs> yeah. 
So <laughs> it would be amazing. Yeah. Good pick. Uh, it's so a movie rude. which came out in 2021, but it was up for Oscars last year for foreign language. So I'm not sure how it counts, but it did come out in 2021. So I think it deserves. Yeah. To otherwise be. I'd be giving it all the awards. Yeah. I think, um, and, and it, you know, it's my number three film of the year. I think it's just it's so good. an amazing masterpiece. And uh, it, it's set during the Serbian takeover of the town of Srebrenica in the lead up to the 95 Bosnian genocide. And Ida is this woman who's a UN interpreter trying to get her family safely out of the country. And it's just, it's incredibly watchable. It's, it's tense. And it has that kind of Petzoldian in a way of, thing where you it's it's deeply thematically resonant you just feel the master of the mastery of somebody who knows how to infuse theme and play with ideas inside of a cinematic landscape inside of this you know incredibly tense cinematic situation that's happening and it's also it's a tortured cry into the abyss Mm -hmm. of the survivors of this you know this tragedy and what they have, you know, what they have to go through on a daily basis in the aftermath of that. It's unbelievable. I think it, it, it's, it's one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. And I don't think very many people have seen it. So I highly recommend it. It's not boring. You might think, oh, it's some foreign movie, blah, blah, blah. No, man, it is incredibly tense. Like, it's an unbelievably, it's not violent either or anything. It's just good tense filmmaking that's also deeply thematic and interesting. So Quo Vitus, sorry, Quo Vitus Ida. Their tanks are getting closer and closer by the hour. We are doing everything we can. Aircraft are on standby and ready to launch an attack on all positions held by the Republic of Serbska Army. What will happen if the planes don't come? They will come. They will come. is a safe area on the protection of the United Nations. Kao čovjek, kao general, garantujem sigurnost za svakog nevinog. Do you have your family here? Two sons. Do you think we are safe here? The Serbs are inside the base fully armed. What? The telefon. All right, so those are our hidden gems. Kovada Saida, a masterpiece, and Barb and Star. <laughs> I feel like I made a really good point about lady friendship, and now you just, you're like, oh, mine's a movie not, about the mine's Serbian. genocide. Okay. All right, so... Um, you had a couple specific, super specific categories you wanted to go over. Give me some of your crazy categories. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of speaking along the same lines as hidden gem and my pick Barb and star, here's my category. Sorry, but I had fun. This is my, this is my category where like Laura's guilty pleasures. Mm. They're not going to be critically acclaimed. I'm not claiming they should Mm. be, you know, in the annals of history, but Mm. I had fun and my, and those are old Small mm-hmm. engine repair mm-hmm. and malignant. Oh, malignant is a good. I I I'm on board with malignant for sure. Oh, you're not on board with old. No hater. 
No, Old was fun. <laughs> this is return to M. Night Shyamalan form, I feel. Um, yeah, so those are my picks for, sorry, but I had fun. Yeah, I mean, I think those are solid. Those are solid moves. Um, my, I, let me think. Sorry, I had fun. What would I say? Uh, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I really had one. I think Malignant is a good pick for that, honestly. It's a How fun have you movie. not talked about Dear Evan Hansen yet? Uh, <laughs> Is that? I'm trying not to, but uh, what? I thought you were going to give it to music or something. No, no, no. I mean, I'm. That's I, your sorry. I had fun. Maybe it is. I I don't know if I haven't had fun in that movie, but it, I do think. Yeah, it's I good. guess you're right. I think it's good. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, Here's my category for best movies to fall asleep to. Mm. This is the sub that this or otherwise known as movies with a lot of bass because mm. I have this weird thing where I fall asleep during intense action movies. <laughs> Because if there's no dialogue, uh, I'm not interested. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I fell asleep in, in in this in the year 2021. I fell asleep to the movie Infinite, Godzilla oh, yeah. versus Kong, yeah. Wrath of Man. Yeah, I also fell asleep to Green Knight. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> well, Green Knight's an easy one to fall asleep to. <laughs> one the other was. ones I'm a little surprised by. <laughs> Although Infinite was absolutely terrible. That's my least favorite movie of the year. Like by a long shot. It's a great movie to nap I don't actually know if it's by a long shot, but yeah, it's a bad. Well, bad I had a movie. really lovely nap. So yay for Infinite. Sorry if you loved Infinite. I apologize. <laughs> I, I just, that I mean, there were some fun action scenes. Let's be real, but still. <laughs> Um, and my last one is by Men Are Trash Ooh, category. Okay, who's in the Men Are Trash? Category? I mean, Last Jewel, as we've as we've sure, covered. Sure. Uh, Shiva Baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some trashy men in that for sure. And Mayday. Yeah. I gotta find a place to put Mayday. I see. So you weren't gonna call that one out as a hidden gem? No, not necessarily. Okay. Um, but I enjoyed Mayday. I will give it an honorable mention and best scene. How about point. how about this one for for our uh you know could you would you might think trashy man but actually honorable man Nighthouse. Oh, I did think about that. I did think about Nighthouse. We'll bring up a Nighthouse in a second. Okay, I got a Nighthouse nom. You got slash, a Nighthouse nom coming up. Yeah. So all right. So now let's do best scene and then we'll finish it up with best picture. So okay. Give us some. I'll, I'll maybe I'll start. I'll start yeah. with the best scene, and here's my fa- one of my favorite scenes. So malignant. Just mentioned the scene is that scene. I can't say anything. Why? <laughs> if I say it, I will have. I, will I know. Have, I didn't know we had to be spoiler free. Well, spoiler free. I can't say what the scene is, but when you watch, there, okay. So what is malignant? First of all, let's just let's just explain what malignant is. Yeah. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders. As they're happening. Hello? Malignant is James Wan back in, in you know, in masterful form, you know, playing out trashy B-horror. And it's a movie about a woman who has these sort of shocking visions of murders and she doesn't know what's going on. And then she realizes, oh no, I'm I'm like seeing murders take place that like have really taken place. So I'm not just dreaming them. And that's all we can say because it's, it it has a chaotic twist. It's really fun. It's a fun twist. Hell yeah. You know, like I got no complaints, man. Like that's a movie I would, I would rewatch for sure. Oh yeah. Um, here's another one. Um, we've already talked about this, so it's easy. I just mentioned uh, the final song of Annette. Yeah, it's on my list too. Yeah. Sympathy for the Abyss. 
It's the name of the song. It's a great song. It's it's amazing. It's it's the sort of the whole movie emotionally comes together in that moment. And um, I think it's one of the best scenes of the year. I sang these words to you. What, what do you have? Um, one that I've already mentioned is any scene with the witches in Macbeth. Yep. Um, but the opening scene in Macbeth. Um, on a lighter note, speaking of May Day, uh, the scene in which... Uh, in May Day? In May Day, in which Mia Goth says, I turned in, I made you a hero. And Anna said, you made me a psych- psychopath. And Mia Goth screams. I made you into a hero. You made me into a psychopath. It's the same thing! <laughs> yeah, fun movie. Uh, May Day. Yeah, so... Do you want to say, like, can you tell people what May Day is about? Because I don't think anybody saw May Day. So. Nobody saw May Day. Um, okay. Uh, Grace Van Patten's uh, character, Anna, climbs into a stove, mm-hmm. enters another world. Maybe she's dead. And is, you know, finds a abandoned ship and hangs out with some ladies. Submarine, and I think. Abandoned submarine. Yeah, it's a U-boat, right? Or something like that? Yeah. I don't know. It's like and set now. It's, it's It was originally looked like it was modern time and then now it's World War II era. Yep. In the, and in this uh, world. they have to sort of maintain the safety of their of their lady island by just shooting men all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they like lure them in. They're like sirens, yeah. right? They lure them in. They kind of crash their boats and then they pick them off with sniper rifles. Yep. Yeah, it's a strange movie. Uh, it wasn't on my top of the list, but... I loved it. You love when ladies get get it over on the guys. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> um, here's another scene. Bad luck banging or loony porn. Mm. Final mm-hmm. confrontation with the parents. Oh my God, yes. Uh, so here, bad luck, let me just say briefly. So this is a movie that I think was on several critics' lists, but many people might not have seen. It's a it's a, a Romanian film by a director named Radu Jude, who's made some other films, but mostly smaller independent films in Romania. And there's a character in the film named Emmy, who's a high school teacher, she makes a sex tape with her husband, but somehow it gets uploaded to the internet and then it's seen by, you know, it's like becomes viral or whatever. And she then has to confront a um, sort of mob of angry parents who are mad about this. And that scene, at the, which is the third act of the film, mm-hmm. is hilarious. I just think it's a really funny, hilarious, uh, farcical over-the-top scene, and uh, it's obviously meant, given the contrasts of everything else that's been set up in terms of Ro- Romania's involvement with Nazis and, you know, and and in real serious political issues that they're dealing with, and then contrast that with, like, we're mad about some sex stuff. You know? <laughs> like, like the, the sort of absurdity of how upset these parents are about the fact that their teacher... I don't know, the has a their, sex life. Yeah, has a is is a sexual being, and um, <laughs> with her husband. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> I it's hilarious, and I you know it's it's a it's a very strange movie, and so it's not for everyone. I think when we rented it uh, from Amazon, I think it had one rating, 
Yes. And it had, it was a one half star rating. (laughs) It had the lowest possible rating you could have. And so take this all with a grain of salt. If you're not interested in Romanian art house films, you might not like this. But if that sounded interesting, and I I guarantee you that third act is quite fun. Yeah, I would say just hang on. The first act is the woman just walking through the streets for the most part um, and um, pictures of of signs and posters and just like getting a feel for the city. It's slow. Um, and then, you know, I think each act got progressively better and more interesting. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to like hang on to in the first act, yeah. but uh, totally worth it by the end. So there you go. Give me another scene. Um, okay. here I'll ask you a question in return. You know, I'm assuming you have a scene from Licorice Pizza in I here. I do. Which scene did you pick? I picked the scene, the interview scene with the agent. I did too. I mean, it's a great scene. Okay. So let's talk about it. Yeah, I didn't know if you were going to go with the Bradley Cooper moment, which oh, is fun. The Bradley Cooper, yeah, that's true. I didn't know that's if you were going to go with, do you know how much tail I get? All of it. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much the best scene is the whole movie. Just watch Licorice Pizza. <laughs> But uh, yeah, this is a great scene. So Mary Grady is this character played by Harriet Sampson Harris. And she is just interviewing it, I guess, in a way. She's a casting agent interviewing Alana. And um, it's wonder- It's just hilarious. I'll play a clip. Do you know how to horseback ride? Yes. Uh, do you know how to do fencing? Yes, I can fence. Basketball? Yes. Baseball? Yes. Soccer? Yes. Any other sports or special skills that I should know about? I studied Krav Maga. I don't know what that is. What is Quick Draw Maga? It's martial arts from Israel. It's used in combat. My dad was in the Israeli army. We all know it. So it's a form of karate, let's say. It's more like how to use a pen to stab someone's eye out. You're a goddamn fucking fighter, aren't you? I like that. I can see that. You come here trying to be all pretty for me, but really you remind me of a dog, of an English pit bulldog with sex appeal and a very Jewish nose. <laughs> <laughs> so hilarious scene. Okay, give me. Do you have another one, or what's your I, winner? No, my winner. My winner is a little tongue in cheek, but I mean, I went with a scene from Nighthouse. <laughs> I went with the drinks with the colleagues at uh, with Nighthouse. That's Night interesting. House. Okay, so that must have resonated with you. Yeah, I mean, okay. So Rebecca Hall plays a character in Nighthouse whose husband has committed suicide. She's a teacher. It's the end of term. She lives in his beautiful home. He was an architect. And um, she's she's grieving. And then she feels like she she feels like she sees it. He feels his presence in the mm-hmm. house. And she her friends, they're not really her friends. She's a really like a like acerbic person. She's like, she's kind of prickly. It seems like she's got one real friend at school and everybody else are just colleagues. And so the department goes out for drinks and they say, oh, you should come to try and get her out of the house and get her out of her funk. And she is just like so aggressive Mm -hmm. and so unwilling to like play any of the social niceties that you should. And it's, 
it just becomes incredibly uncomfortable until the point where somebody blurts out, did your husband leave a suicide note? And then she pulls it out of her purse and reads it to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's kind of vacillating between like, you know, actually expressing herself, but then being or joking yeah, to make sure that would, they don't feel uncomfortable and then making them feel uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. Just yeah. the vacillation is incredibly uncomfortable. She would make a, she would like say something that was like honest, but kind, but like in a tone that seems joking. And then she'd go hmm, and kind of like do like a tiny smile laugh. Yeah. And she does it a lot throughout the movie and it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> and I love her performance in this, in the, in the movie. I just, I love how unlikable she is. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca Hall is great. I'm surprised actually she didn't get a best actor nom from you. Oh yeah. You that's know? an overlook for me. Oh. Okay. Well, I gave her best scene. All right. That's I gave good. her best scene. Rebecca Hall, Nighthouse. I, I feel like I, I really enjoyed that movie because of Rebecca Hall. So my best scene of the of the year mm-hmm. is in a little movie which I have not given any other awards to, which is kind of insane given that it's my number four movie of the year. It is Titan. The scene is the fire truck dance scene. Oh, yeah. So I can't really again say what's going on in this film and why that scene is so amazing and hilarious and subversive. So I'll just say there's a scene towards the end of the film where um, Alexia, being Adrian, dances on a fire truck. And it's amazing. <laughs> and that's all I can say. Yeah, it's a, a great of, scene. A bunch of firemen feel weird about it. It's a, it's like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, that's the scene in the movie where I was like, I, I think I know what's happening. Finally. <laughs> it's coming together for me. Oh, and I was like, please explain. Yeah, I loved it. It's great. It's a, it, it's also, it's just fucking hilarious. It's a hilarious scene. Um, All right. We're here. We're at the final category. Yep. This is so exciting. So best picture. Now, for me, the nominations are just my top five movies of the year. It's okay. easy for me. So okay. I'll just list them okay. in reverse order, and you will be able to infer what my number one movie is. And All right. and you could just do the same, right? Is that fine? I have no reason to keep us ever in suspense. They kind of can already guess. Yeah. So my number five is Red Rocket. Okay. My number four is Titan. My number three is Quo Vadis Ida. My number two is Annette. And that leaves my number one film of the year, Licorice Pizza. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands. Like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand? No, but Streisand. Sand. But the film is a sad thing This is fate that brought us together. But she's lived it ten times or more. Our roads took us here. She could spit in the eyes of fools. You're not my director. Do you really want to see my boobs? Can I touch them? See you tomorrow. I loved it. It was just a remarkable movie. It made me so happy watching it. I can't wait to see it again. That's a that's a rare thing for me to want to rewatch a movie almost immediately after seeing it. And I suspect that it's a movie which will continue to grow in both my feelings towards it and also others. I just think it's um 
I think it's easy to take Paul Thomas Anderson for granted. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best filmmakers we have today. It's easy to just dismiss him as um because it's because his movies are so good that you can, you know, to just take him for granted and just think, ah, here's another Paul Thomas Anderson film. But I we're just fortunate to have someone like this making movies at the clip he's making them. And I felt like in a way this is a a return of a a bit of a return to form in in that it's returning to the kind of hangout vibes of his sort of earlier movies and um but mixing them with the more emotional and thematic depth and complexity and and in particular narrative complexity of his later films and so in that regard i think it's like a not really wonderful synthesis of the two sides of the paul thomas anderson coin i love every performance in the movie i love the soundtrack and soundtrack's amazing it's just such a warm and happy movie for me so that's why it's my number one yeah all right so I don't rank my movies. That's fine. So I'll yeah. just give you four nominations and then end with my with my winner. Yeah. Um, you know, Licorice Pizza's on there, Spencer, House of Gucci, Power of the Dog. Now hold on, wait. I'm trying to think because you you could not have given this movie any other awards. So yep. I'm trying to fi- I'm just trying to figure out if I can guess. Mm-hmm what it is we've talked about this movie but i didn't give the award wow hold on i'm just trying to think okay you want to try and guess yeah wow i'm honestly a bit lost as far as what it could be i think you've just forgotten and thought i gave something to i might have red rocket oh red rocket you saved red rock i saved red rocket wow that's why i didn't give it to simon that's why i'm sorry simon but I, I, I. That's I a cool pick. So Red Rocket's your favorite of the year, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not afraid to fight you. I don't give a. What the fuck? He fucker punched me. I would 100% out cardio that guy. Fuck. Sorry for swearing. The shit got out of control. I came this fucking close to getting shot. This fucking close. The dog's like, oh, he's a good man. I can tell by his nice energy. Your persona non grata. Life's sweet, Sophie. Life is sweet. I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Sean Baker is so talented. I loved Florida Project. This movie was better. I think um, he's starting to, you know, weave in some some allegory or message, but it's but it's still, you know, all about the people and character studies. Uh, he gets ex- incredible performances out of out of his actors, many of whom I think, you know, are where he just went to that to the town near Galveston and cast the majority of the film besides the leads right yeah right there um and um it really does have that kind of like it, it's just like surprising that sean baker isn't from there you know I what know. i mean like it feels like he's telling the story as somebody who grew up in gulf texas um it feels like he really like knows these people cares about them loves them and um it's really funny <laughs> it's it's like a a bright colorful beautiful movie yeah. i loved it it's a great pick i mean it's uh 
it's obviously a great movie. I it's my number five, and I just I I'm really I think it's great that you picked it. I think it's cool, really cool that you picked it. It's a cool movie, man. Complicated movie, like it mo- like thematically and emotionally complicated. Yeah, even though narratively it's incredibly straightforward, but it's it's yeah. Well, that's it. So let's let's just recap real quick. So best picture for me is Licorice Pizza. Red Rocket, Sean Baker. Best director for me is Leos Cracks, Annette. I gave it to PTA for Liquor's Pizza. Best actor was Amelia Jones for Coda, Simon Rex for Red Rocket. Lady Gaga, House of Gucci, Chrissy Stewart, Spencer. Best supporting, Kirsten Dunst. Well, we, we agreed on this one. Yes. Kirsten Dunst, Power of the Dog, Catherine Hunter, Tragedy of Macbeth. Yep. Best writing for me was Paul Verhoeven and David Burke, Benedetta. I gave it to Christian Petzold for Undine. Best score, Hans Zimmer Dune. I gave it to Micah Levi for Zola. That's a good pick. That's such a, I feel that's, strong that's about like that one. That's like the one I did not see coming at all. <laughs> uh, for me, best scene was Titan, the fire truck dance scene. Uh, I have suicide note scene, Nighthouse. <laughs> that's also a fucking crazy pick. Anyway. Uh, and yeah, I want to just close with one other thing. So yes. the Oscars are coming up this, you know, in a week. Here are the nominees for Best Picture. Okay, now, obviously, one of these is the one we both want to win. That's Licorice Pizza, of the ones that are nominated. But Licorice Pizza, I think, stands in zero chance of winning. So my question for you, when you hear these nominations, of the ones you think have a chance at winning, which would you want to win? Okay. Okay, which would you be happy with? So here are the nominees. And we haven't seen all of these, right? We have seen all of these. I've seen all oh, of these. Oh, okay. Okay. Here we go. Belfast. Mm-hmm. Coda. Don't Look Up. Drive My Car. Dune. King Richard. Licorice Pizza. Nightmare Alley. The Power of the Dog. West Side Story. Power of the Dog. Okay. Yeah, I, I think Power of the Dog has a good shot. Um, I'd be happy with that. What I mean, it's hard to know what other ones. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit wide open because I've heard people argue that Power of the Dog because it's it, it might get it as like a legacy Oscar, but they there's some thing that's like it's, it's not Campion's the, best. Well, or? no, no, there's some like murmurings that Campion's a lock for director, and so that's oh. the legacy Oscar in a way. So she gets it for director, and then um, and then that kind of leaves open a split director mm-hmm. picture split when i think about that i think okay you know belfast is in the mix right it's just it's oscar baby it has all the all the checks all the boxes coda sure. is in the mix i don't feel like i think a, has there been any buzz around nightmare alley no yeah so i and then power of the dog and you know i guess i agree i i i but you know what i'd also be happy with coda you know i i yeah, have nothing weirdly, against coda. i remember when people were like oh coda has oscar buzz and i was like really because that movie is just sort of formulaic and straightforward Wait, i mean obviously like we don't see a lot of deaf actors on screen that's very cool i like that and that's the other reason why it has a real shot i think is yeah. there's a representation thing going on yeah where, you know troy kotzer i think is going to get that supporting but like i think a lot of times they think about the the the, the academy thinks about what it's going to be like to have because they all go up right it's not just the producers yeah the whole cast up there and all you know the the, the deaf acting you know actors and everything up there you know clapping along and it just that it was going to be a really cool moment if sure. that happens and you know granted yes it will be great to see jane camping up there twice for power of the dog and to, and to see you know 
um, Benedict and Plemons and Kirsten and, and, you know, but I kind of like, I think maybe in my heart, I'm like, I kind of want Coda to win. It'd know. be a happy one. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I obviously for me, it's if, you know, licorice pizza would be the great one, but I just think they're not going to, you know, it has, this movie was not well seen. It was not widely seen and it didn't, it didn't resonate with the people. The way it did with me. doesn't, it's not grand in the way that yeah. some of his earlier ones that I think were more strong contenders for Oscar movies. So there we have it. There's the blo- first annual Blobskers. We've been doing this for a while, but it's the first time we put it on mic, got down to dirty and tried to figure out who are our favorites, not yeah. who are the best. But I mean, we tried, we watched most of the Academy movies. We were yeah, there's a couple pretty movies mad on most of them that we have not. Yeah, I think like the movies that we still haven't seen yet that I'm desperate to see. Yeah, so worst person in the world, worst person in the world, and souvenir two, souvenir two that we haven't gotten That's to right. yet. We have not been able to see those. none of the other Oscar nominated movies. Have I been like we gotta go? We gotta get to it. Yeah, so. there's really, I mean, yeah, there's those are the two that I agree would I would have liked to see Parallel Mothers. We didn't see that. Yes. And, um, but other than that, I think we feel, I mean, there obviously were things we missed that will be important someday when someone will figure out and whatever, but of the ones that were getting buzz, we saw most of them and, um, yeah. And I think that, you know, that, that takes a good movie, good year for movies, very good year for movies. I mean, every year is a good year for movies, but there's an obvious reason why this was a year which was particularly bloated with good films and that's because a lot of stuff was delayed because of the pandemic i'm excited for what what people are going to do next i'm excited to learn about all these new directors that we saw this year and i'm excited to see what the established directors do next and um and and to see how these movies grow in estimation over time i i really think that a number of the movies that we picked which were not getting very much buzz you know in the mainstream like Red Rocket, you know, like Annette, like Licorice Pizza, my hope would be that they grow in estimation over time and that they are ones that people come back to and see again and come to find interesting things. That's my hope. I always am kind of, you know, aiming not just to think about what tickled me in the moment, but what I think will have a lasting impact. and, and, And um. So that was, you know, what was guiding me when I was making some yeah, of these decisions. So that's why I was so. really talking a lot about Nighthouse. <laughs> I have a feeling Nighthouse is not going to sustain itself, but it's yeah. hard to know. I mean, my sus- I do suspect that Woman in the Window is going to become like a campy trash masterpiece at some point. Mm. That's my suspicion, is that an entire generation of people like Gen whatever comes after Z is going to be like, we're all about this kind of weird Netflix shit that just got shunted away on the algorithm, you know, and, and not only shunted away on the algorithm, but then the algorithm created a spoof on Netflix. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's why I think it has power is that people are going to, there's going to be like, what was the original of the thing that now we've got like 10 iterations of spoofs of, and then they'll go back and be like, no, this is a G. I think someone's going to be a reclaiming I mean, effort. that cast is like incredibly stacked. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of talent in there. I don't think you can completely deny Women in the Window. Yeah, Women, I, look, I quite enjoyed Women in the Window. And I got no complaints. And so, you know, I think. I got no complaints. <laughs> no complaints. So, uh, there All right, is. well, in conclusion, don't look into the abyss. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for listening. We are at Cowspod on Twitter. You can find us on the web at cowspod.wordpress.com. 
In two weeks, we have Katie Walsh from the LA Times and Miami Nice and various other places. She's a professional film critic, and she's going to come and talk to us about Michael Mann's Collateral. Hell yeah. That's going to be a blast. So stay tuned for that in two weeks. We'll see you then. Keyboard Cat, play us off. (laughs) 